the tax system is so ridiculous and so absurdly complicated and just the word belasting dienst is is just like some kind of sort of something that you would do behind closed doors in a dungeon perhaps welcome to celebrating connections a short series of podcasts celebrating the amazing things happening on either side of the north sea my name is nick heath and i'm britain's deputy ambassador to the netherlands I'm helping at the moment to prepare a landmark state visit by King Willem-Alexander and Queen Maxima to London. But alongside the pomp and the splendour, the carriages, the speeches and the parades of soldiers, it also strikes me that what makes this friendship and an indispensable partnership is broader than royalty or governments. It's about thousands of human stories or connections crisscrossing the North Sea. In this series, I'll be meeting a group of exceptional people who are writing a new chapter in Anglo-Dutch relations. Dutch people living and working in the UK, and British people making a name for themselves here. And I'll be exploring with them what it takes to move from the countries they grew up in and thrive in the countries they call home. My guest today is Dominic Seldis, the principal double bass at the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra in Amsterdam, TV star, and, from his website at least, very possibly the man who put Gareth Southgate onto waistcoats. <laughs> Dominic, welcome. I'm, I'm sorry you're not in a waistcoat today. Where's, where is my waistcoat? I feel a bit underdressed. Who's, you know? who's Gareth Southgate? <laughs> yeah, is that sport or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, oh, wow, yeah. That's, I also got described once as the Simon Cowell of classical music. I'm not quite sure which is worse. <laughs> Definitely the cowl. Definitely the cowl, surely. Um, listen, it's really great to have you here. Um, what I wanted to do, if I may, was to start with a few quick-fire questions. These sure. will test whether, you, uh, whether you're really uh, feeling more comfortable on this side of the North Sea or on the mm. other one. So, uh, quick-fire. Coffee or tea? Oh, tea. Gouda or cheddar? Cheddar. Uh, KLM or BA? KLM. Okay, very good. Um, uh, Great British Bake Off or Holland, Hail Holland Bakt? Oh, that's that's tricky. Um, uh, but I think Bake Off, uh, the British version, both British versions are... are, are but, but actually, in all fairness, the Dutch version is also extremely good. Yeah, but it doesn't have Mary Berry. But, so no, that's true, but I, but I know Yanni, so it, it's, it's kind yeah. of... It, yeah, that's tricky. Loyalty's key. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, a Friesland beach in November or a Norfolk beach in November? Well, certainly Norfolk, only because I was I come from Suffolk. Right. So it's it's within spitting distance of home. And there's so. not sort of a, a disloyalty to even sort of acknowledge Norfolk. Well, no, well Suffolk, no, no, once you live abroad, no. Oh, I right. mean, it's sort of, you know, that's sort of, it's got an uck at the end. So you're <laughs> it sort counts. of, yeah, it all counts, Fair absolutely. Enough. All right, last one then. Uh, Contagawao or Royal Albert Hall? A concert about all day long. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's my that's my office. The Albert Hall is amazing. I just did a prom. I think I've done a prom concert every year since I was 15 years old. Wow. I think uh, maybe I missed a couple. Okay. Um, but I was there this, this year doing West Side Story with the John Wilson Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. And there is something about being in the proms season in the Albert Hall that is completely completely unique. But you go out of season, it's a little bit like Clandudno. <laughs> Out of season, it's not so great. It's a pretty cavernous place. Yeah, yeah. and actually is a nightmare to to play in, really? to be honest. Um, I mean, it's a wonderful building and, and it's a sort of go-to destination. Um, and so for the audience, it's really cool. And I've seen loads and loads of concerts there. So one of my favourites was Elton John, uh, just solo piano. That was extraordinary at the at the Albert Hall. But um, pl- playing there, I mean, but the Concert about has this extraordinary... Uh, uh, acoustic yeah. which is so very very special and 
makes even the worst orchestra sound fantastic <laughs> and i get to sit there that's i'm, I'm there five days a week so it, so it's uh, it's, it's it really is the office it really is the office yeah. as offices go it's not about it's not right. about one no. quite quite right yeah no. although yours isn't bad either yeah probably but not not quite the no, same but it's not, oh, no yeah, quite mine's the better. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that one i'll, I'll chalk that one up to you yeah, yeah um so look you know 2008 and yeah. you've been performing you've uh, already had a very successful career um we'll come back to a bit talking mm. about your time in wales mm. before that in london Mm. What was it that brought you to the Netherlands in the first place in 2008? I think with every job, you can get very comfortable. And I had been with the BBC National Orchestra of Wales for 10 years. And uh, life was good. We lived out in the Forest of Dean. um, Three small children. Uh, happily married and uh, the job was good a BBC job you know it's got a pension and everything (laughs) Uh, and then the devil inside every musician starts to the 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 voices start to become bigger and bigger and you become the ambition never goes the 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 bringing up the family is fine but I I'm happy to admit that that my family work life balance has always been an issue in that so far as to say that I don't think that it's actually an issue at all because my life is my work and that is and it pays for the the family and so it's all sort of messed into one if you like so then and then I got a call from Emily Bynan who's uh, who's Welsh actually this solo flute mm. um, in the Concertgebouw saying look we've got this job coming up will you come and have a go for it and um, and I did, and I didn't get the job. <laughs> right, excellent. And so I thought, well, that was a waste of time. And and then she then rang again six months later and said, can you have another? Can you have another go? So and I couldn't. I was on tour, and so but you can send a tape in, and so I prepared a tape to get me through the first round, if you like, and uh, and I didn't get through. <laughs> And so now, now I'm going. Ending, yeah, right? it's, it's hoping. Well, I mean, it's now going backwards because I got through to the second round the first time, and it didn't get through the first round the first. And then came the third time, and then I thought, right, well, this really is it. it, it after this, it becomes humiliating, and um, so I then really worked hard to to get the third one, and then I, I nailed it. At that time, also. Um, I happened to get heavily involved in TV in the UK and this new show Maestro came up and on the first day of filming I was literally driving from the Forest of Dean to London to what I didn't realise then was going to be a completely life-changing day then became doubly life-changing because I got a call from the orchestra saying oh by the way we'd like to offer you the job. And my head, of course, was completely fully in this TV show yeah, yeah, yeah. and how fat I was looking. <laughs> and and it was nothing to do with playing the bass. And what was hilarious is that, of course, the strap line, when they put you on TV, they quite often put, you know, yeah, Dominic right. Seldes, conductor, Dominic Seldes, double bass, Dominic, whatever. And they'd prepared Dominic Seldes, uh, solo double bass, uh, principal double bass, BBC National Orchestra of Wales. And then a little runner came up to me and said, um, I just heard that you got a new job, so we need to change your strap line. And I said, oh, okay, fair enough. He said, how do you spell Concertgebouw? And I said, I've no idea. <laughs> no, no. I mean, so they had to change everything. And literally that day, <laughs> my life completely turned around in the most spectacular way. And and uh, within three months, uh, we were we were getting the, um, the ferry from... from 
Harridge. Brilliant. And then, so obviously the, the orchestra has the most phenomenal reputation. Yep. I mean, not just as a building, but as a, a corporate body and mm. kind of the body of music that's behind mm. it. How did you prepare for that sort of first performance uh, actually in situ when you've got the job? What's the kind of process you go through to before well, you step out on stage? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good question, that is. Yeah, that's very good. Um, the reality is, is that by the time you've got the job, um, you... Uh, dare I say it without wanting to be too too uh, sort of showy off here? You, you're pretty much on top of your game, so it's a little bit like stepping out to a, a big championship or whatever. You are yeah. ready, and nobody gets a job in the Concerto Bay Orchestra by uh, Bay Orchestra by fluke. Uh, nobody sure. does. So you're on top of it. So do you remember on that first concert what were you playing? I have no clue <laughs> at all what I played even this morning. <laughs> Here's the thing that you that, that is, here's thing about about the music business and about um, about about the advantage of working with the BBC yeah. is that you get to see a million pieces of music a year. Right. So there may be once or twice a, a season here in the Concertgebouw that there is a piece of music that I've never seen before. So my preparation for the job was actually given to me by the BBC. Right. Um, thank you, all the licensed fee payers uh, who, who did that. So um, I, I can't actually remember, really, uh, it, it's, there's, there's so much music that's put in front of me that if I try to remember it all, uh, uh, my head would be full. What I do have is this instant recognition. So when it's put in front of me, I can then I then know that I have played it before. But remembering what I played, there are some people in the orchestra that know exactly what we played, when we played, uh, who who was conducting, what happened, what bowing we used, and everything. But I just don't have that kind of brain. I've got other better things to think about. So um, we talked there about your sort of professional movement, but also personally what was it like to move to the netherlands i mean how did how did you first feel at home where was there a moment where you thought you know what i'm getting this or was it well it's an interesting thing and i know that i'm not alone with this and i don't talk about this very much but as this is going to 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 people that may maybe there are people who are familiar with this story that normally one would move abroad for a job right and 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 a better job than they've had in the past that's pretty standard and what happened with me was that I moved to the best job available, yeah. uh, full stop. And once I got it and was working at it, what I actually ended up realizing was that I'd left my family behind and it resulted in a divorce, a very amicable divorce. But the reality was that I had completely moved on. And my dear now ex-wife and the mother of my kids um, decided to stay in Holland also. So I was very lucky in in that way. And I know many, many stories that are not so lucky. So on a personal level, it's actually a little bit sad because, of course, it ended up as a divorce. But but that, of course, then feeds the fire of other things and you try and make up for it. And maybe that's why we're talking today is because I spent the whole time trying to prove my existence here. Let's move on to happier stuff. Tell me a little bit about how you broke into TV here in the Netherlands. <laughs> because obviously you have the maestro thing behind you in the UK, yeah, yeah. and you've got this extraordinary track record, two series, I think, of maestro yeah. in the UK, yeah. and it's going yeah. gangbusters, going brilliantly. Yeah. But then obviously you're different country, different sort of media yeah. environment, different language. How, yeah. how did you make that well, work? Well, it was one of those things that that first series uh, in the UK was was a hit-ish 
Not really, uh, but it it there wasn't there weren't the viewing figures to justify the money that they were putting in. It was amazingly expensive. Really? Okay. Live shows. It was a, a, along the same lines as Strictly. That kind right. of expense. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it was huge. Full live, you know, symphony orchestra, the whole Gosh. lot. Um, and none of that went to my pay packet, by the way. <laughs> and uh, yes, yes, that's an, yes another myth in television. <laughs> by the way, I just thought I'd mention it. And um, but. And then I and then I moved over here, and then about uh, eighteen months later, um, whilst in the middle of, of this divorce that I was talking about, they then called again and said we're doing series two, and I thought this is great, this is this is perfect. I can just sort of disappear back to London for a couple of weeks without all the weird stuff that goes with yeah. being on TV in in the UK. But whilst we were d- doing the second series, they said, oh, we've sold Maestro to Holland, by the way. And we tried to sell you with it, but they're not interested because you don't speak Dutch. And I said, well, of course. And actually, when I'd come to Holland, I decided not to do any media over here at all. Why would I pursue it? That's just bizarre. It's like me suddenly becoming an Olympic athlete. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Why would it? Uh, I don't need it. I've got a great job. But why don't you just concentrate on one thing for once, Dominic, and, and sort of deal with that? So then I said, well, maybe I should write to them anyway, because I was living in Hilversum at the time. They right. were in Hilversum. And that's what I did. And about six weeks later, I got an invite for a cup of coffee at, at, the, at the studios in Hilversum. And to cut a long story short, before I knew it, I was doing a screen test for to be on the jury. It was never the plan. It was, it was absolutely not at all. And I was doing this screen test... And I was just basically pulling out the drawer, the same lines that I'd used <laughs> sort of two years previously. Uh, right, exactly. Tried yeah. Which were averagely funny at best. <laughs> um, and and sort of a little bit nastier, which is where the whole Simon Cowell of classical music right. thing comes in. And so I'm finally giving myself one line, you know, putting out one liners. So, you know, it looks more like you're hanging out washing rather than conducting. And, you know, and, <laughs> and, and all I'm getting is these massive laughs back behind the cameras and these high fives going on. And I got the job that night. And there was this sort of, it, it took about eight years to become an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we're now on to the fourth, we've just done the fourth season. So about six months ago. Yeah. And that was huge. There was no other way of describing it. And it took us all a little bit by surprise. And now, we're th- now we, we've just booked dates for the fifth series, uh, which will come in. in Congratulations. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not even sure I'm meant to say that, but no, there you are. <laughs> you heard yes, it here first. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is going to be at the end of uh, 19. Brilliant. Um, which, uh, well, I hope it's happening because I've already spent it. So it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the credit card is going to want it back, exactly, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, fair play to you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it's one of those mad things that I have no clue how I managed to become a... a I mean, it, look, when friends of mine in the UK say, oh, Dominic, I heard that you're a celebrity in, in Holland, I'm, I can no longer deny it. <laughs> it's, I can't even try and be falsely modest. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I find myself on, on TV shows hanging out with people... That's that's a lot of Dutch people spend their whole careers trying to do, and I just sort of pranced in there, put on a waist jacket, did a, a crappy English gag, and I just like, how on earth is this happening? Why is this happening? I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to sort of be as professional as possible and give them what they need, and I have found myself to suddenly become the go-to Brit guy. Dominic Sellis. Die absoluut een grote held is. Als je die man ziet spelen op die hele grote.
and you manage to do it all in English, right? So oh. they'll they'll speak Dutch at you, yeah. and brilliantly, yeah. it's acceptable if you just reply in English, it's, which is it's mad. remarkable, right? It's, it's completely mad. You wouldn't they, do that in France, let's be honest about it. Of course not. There's no other country in the world no. you could do that. I mean, really, and it's completely nuts. And it's very much involved in the British humour because I've tried to translate the British humour into Dutch and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't go. So they're so vastly well-educated in in, uh, linguistic skills. Um, It's not just English, of course, German and and, and all that stuff. Um, So I can get away with it. And and I do speak Dutch. Uh, It's just nowhere near good enough to do anything remotely involved with adrenaline because <laughs> as soon as there's any pump of adrenaline it just i it just leaves me nothing there's nothing left anymore and because you're then sort of relying on on your own sort of uh, uh, skills if you like and i have zero dutch skills every single word i say is <laughs> quite is, is an effort concentration yeah but i mean i have i have a dutch partner now and 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 we Actually, our lives are pretty much. She, she quite often speaks Dutch to me, and, and I speak English back, and, and it's just sort of become this sort of weird thing. But I've got, I, I know Dutch well enough, and and when people get upset with, by the fact that I don't speak Dutch, I'm like, why don't you speak to the people who are employing me, not me? I mean, I agree with you. It's a fair point. <laughs> it's but... a perfectly valid point. Why you know you've been here for so long. But, the, you know, there are two main reasons why I don't speak Dutch. I never learnt a language ever at school. I was fully English. Why would I need to learn any other language? That's very... It's a sad view, but it's a common one, right? It's yeah. abso- absolutely. And secondly, I'm I'm quite uh, educationally stupid. <laughs> I mean, they make up for it Technical in other ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've got zero qualifications. <laughs> literally zero, apart from one O level in music and one A level in music. Other than that, everything is a fail. So actually, I struggle with learning uh, that anything that doesn't interest me enormously. And, and languages just don't. It's just not part of my DNA. And so sometimes I get a bit tired of explaining, telling people how stupid I am because they don't believe me. But I, I am. And, 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 and I, don't, I, I really struggle with it. Otherwise, I would do it. Um, you mentioned earlier there about uh, you know the effect of adrenaline on your Dutch mm. ability. Um, I mean, do you still get nervous when yes. you're performing? Is that because you do this all the time, right? You're, yes, yes, it must be so regular. Yes, it it is. But we live on a level of of you know the concertgebouw in the orchestra. We we so this week is a great example. We've been rehearsing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. When, uh, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Sunday afternoon are concerts. So they're sold out, and it's around about 2,000 people. So we're playing to wow. around about seven and a half, eight thousand 8,000 yeah. people a week. On average, around about between six and 8,000 people every week. And the second that you get used to that, really it's time to pack up. Um, but what you get used to is the level of concentration that is required. And... You know, we don't rehearse that much compared to some people. I mean, this is not my partner, for instance, is, is, you know, she's got a proper office job and she leaves the house at eight and she gets back at seven exhausted. I leave the house at nine and I get back (laughs) at two and sort of still quite fresh. But the reality is, is that is that those two hours in the evening are so high pressure. The expectations are so enormously high um, because if you pay good money to come and see the Concerto Bay Orchestra, you expect it to be bloody good. I'm able then to take that 
into my TV work and all the other work uh, that I do, all the solo stuff that I do as well, because it's it's on the same kind of level of pressure and it's very acute and very uh, sort of squashed into a very small uh, time scale. But the reality is I do still get nervous. And weirdly enough, the one thing that leaves me completely is my sense of humour about... 15 minutes before a really? show. Yeah, I'm just so not Focused funny. on yeah. it, yeah. And I can't stand uh, people trying to be funny and true people trying to be relaxed. I have to be alone, uh, or I, I prefer to be alone. And I do a lot of pacing up and down and all that silly stuff. Um, so you you played to lots of different audiences. You played to royal audiences. I've yeah, seen online. You know, you're right. playing to Queen Maxima and others. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've met her on quite a few occasions. She's, I mean, she's a pretty extraordinary figure, isn't she? She does, she's very interested in music education, is that right? Well, let's put it this way, maybe, maybe some people don't know this, but she, she, certainly before she became queen, it was quite normal that she would come and she'd bring the kids and sit in rehearsals with us. In fact, I've got a picture somewhere of, of one of the children, I can't remember which one it is, sat playing my bass with me <laughs> wow, you know, ne- next to her, trying making sure that she doesn't fall off the bass chair. Um, I... Yes, uh, Queen Maxima is a, an extraordinary character that can only be compared, and realistically, because I happened to be at the Royal Academy of Music when Princess Diana was the patron, and thus met Princess Diana on a couple of occasions also, not as often as I've met Maxima. Um, but they are comparable in this. They walk in the room and the, and, and the vibe changes. Right. I was doing one of her her <laughs> children's... Uh, music for children's uh, shows and for whatever reason i had to run off stage i was going off to do it to do another concert and it was running behind and and i i i had to just run across the stage there was no cameras right. going and i had to run across the stage and go down the stage and go backstage and i literally bumped into her because <laughs> i just didn't see her it was dark backstage and she was like oh hey dominic how are you and i was like oh hi hi how are you and and totally like oh my god the the queen's just called me my name that's weird okay whatever and then she was wearing this fantastic um uh, coat which had sleeves made of feathers wow just beautiful and, and you so were and, and and well i and then i found myself i said oh my god look at that coat and i found myself stroking <laughs> her feathers and all around me i could just see a lot of people looking at me going okay a who is this guy and b why is he speaking english and c why is he touching our queen but nobody and, rugby tackled look, you so nobody this did is good anything. Yeah. and 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 then i sort of well look I've, i'm really sorry but I, i've got a dash and she said okay see you soon and and that was that and Boom, and off I went. And since then, I've met her on a few occasions. She's just very visible uh, in the arts world, and certainly in the Kazakh Bay Orchestra, we we uh, she is an angel uh, for us. And um, so, she wants me to do anything at all. I'm, I'm uh, I'll be there in a heartbeat. Another great story was about is about the uh, the um, Duke of Edinburgh, and uh, quite often, it, as you as you're training up to become a musician, you can either go into a symphony orchestra or you can go into the military. And there are many many good orchestras in the military. And a, and a, and a bassoonist friend of mine, Rob, is in the Air Force uh, um, orchestra. One of the, the the good ones. There are many of them. Right. right. They're one of the good. And so, of course, his whole life is doing these sort of parades and everything 
Now, the Duke of Edinburgh, um, when doing these parades, has a tendency to go off-piste a little bit. And so the Queen's doing her thing, and then he'll just sort of go off and go and chat to people. This is what Rob was telling me. This is, I probably shouldn't be telling you this either. But anyway, and of course, as soon as he starts walking off, you can see people talking into their wrists, <laughs> saying he's, he's on the move, he's moving, on the move. You know? yeah. Anyway, and, and he moved over towards the band who were there waiting to play the, uh, off the, the, the Queen off or whatever. And he moved over, and Rob, because he plays the bassoon, was stood next to the tuba player because yep. the two bass instruments. Now, the tuba comes in many different shapes and sizes, so just so you know. If you didn't know, there is di- different different uh, um, scales and different right. types and whatever. So he comes over and he walks his way along the sort of front of the band and, you know, hello, your majesty, and blah, blah, blah. And then he comes up and, he, and sa- says to the tuba player, who's so just standing right next to my friend Rob, says to the tuba player, and of course they can't, they can't smile, they can't do anything, you know, they're on parade, of yeah. course. Um, what's that? He says. And the tuba says, it's a tuba, your majesty. And he said, I know that, you blithering idiot. Is it a B flat or an E flat? <laughs> Amazing, good <laughs> man. Awesome. And of course, he then stands there knowing full well that this is like the best gag they've heard all day. And, <laughs> and they're not allowed to laugh. They're not allowed to laugh. And of course, all they want to do is corpse. So it's a, a wonderful warm yeah. and he's only doing it just to wind them up and then he just wanders off again <laughs> leaves them with this wonderful memory and off he goes these people are are just brilliant i'm a big big fan of not necessarily the concept of royalty that's all a bit odd but but the fact that they work so hard and so committed and they don't have to um and they choose to on our behalf and there is this weird relationship between maxima and and the british royal family for sure and i know that during the war also there was an, an, a, a very very uh, deep connection uh, with the, the the dutch royal family and the british royal family and these things are not easily forgotten and i think that goes a very long way to explain the extraordinary relationship much not better but much tighter I think for the Dutch people and the British people, there is this weird connection much more than you get with the with the French or the yeah. Germans or the Belgians. It's even. a sort of familiarity, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just a strange thing. A knowledge and so of when each other. Brexit came along, the the ones that I've spoken to on this side of the water were almost sort of like, "But why did you do that? I thought we were friends." Kind of attitude, and they, the you know, the 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 the, 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 the business guys, of course, have a different attitude. But there was this kind of. What are you going to do that for? I thought we were getting on fine. And so they took it personally. Yeah. Um, and I think that says a great deal about the relationship. Look, one last question before we go. So um, you mentioned, obviously, the, the personal challenges of um, moving overseas. Yes. But kind of professionally as well. If you're, If someone was looking to move, join the orchestra here mm. or... Or just generally, what what would be your advice to them in a sort of professional context? If someone was trying to follow in your footsteps uh, to play music here in the Netherlands from the UK, what would you what would be your advice be? I think that there is no doubt that it's actually quite confusing to to move to the Netherlands. the The tax system is so ridiculous <laughs> and so absurdly complicated, and just the word "belastingdienst" is is just like some kind of sort of something that you would do behind closed doors in a dungeon, perhaps. Um, it, it's, it's, 
the, it, just and the building. Have you been to the building? It's, I haven't it's, had that privilege. Oh, yet. it's it's this enormous black building in <laughs> this, this sort of crappy end of Amsterdam. You know, it's just fantastically antisocial <laughs> and uh, sort of neat gezellig, and 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 that actually dominates pretty much your whole existence until you realise that actually it's it's fine. They've got it sorted. The Dutch are not the Dutch by just sort of pretending that things happen. They don't. They get stuff done. Mm -hmm. They just get it done in a very different way to the way we get it done in the UK. The amount of meetings that are done here and nothing seems to be decided at the end of that meeting. It drives me potty. I'm on the production team of, of Maestro. After a while, I just walk out. Just say, If nothing is going to be achieved, then I've just kissed goodbye two hours of my life, which I'm never going to get back. Yeah. And you can take the money back. I don't care because I'd much rather sit at home. But apparently things have been, that's the way things are done. Everybody has a say. And once you get used to that, I think it's like with any other job. Once you get used to that, um, then you, the main thing that you have to realize is that you will always be a foreigner. You will, or you will never be Dutch. I will never be Dutch, no matter how much how well I speak the language. I will never be Dutch. I don't want to be Dutch. They've, there's enough Dutch. They're brilliant at it. I'm I'm English. I can't help that. There's nothing I can do about it. And I don't particularly, you know, you don't won't see any Union Jack flags. There's not even the old classic Union Jack uh, coasters, yeah, or, yeah. coasters or, or the doormat. No, nothing. I mean, I live in a very Dutch house. I have a very Dutch partner. I pay very many Dutch taxes. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I live in a very Dutch town. Um, my whole existence is Dutch, but that doesn't make me Dutch. And and it's taken me quite a few years to be okay with that. And that I think is the main challenge. Because they're very proud to be Dutch, and great, uh, and I'll never be. So okay, then there it is. And and um, but I think it is absolutely the land of opportunity here in Holland. And if I can make it here, and <laughs> and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I mean, I keep saying to myself, "Don't, oh, this is going to end tomorrow." So enjoy it. And ten years on, I'm still at it. And if I can make it, literally anyone can. And and it's really, really, there's no big secret. So I would fully endorse coming to move to Holland. Um, and uh, it, it's, once you get used to it, it's just an awesome place to live. Agree with that. Really, Dominic Seldes, really nice to meet you. It's Thanks very much. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. I'm Nick Heath, the Deputy Ambassador at the British Embassy, and you've been listening to our Celebrating Connections podcast. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, so why not get in touch? You can reach me on Twitter, at NickHeathFCO, or you can get in touch with the Embassy on Facebook or Twitter. On both, our pages are UKINNL, that's U-K-I-N-N-L. If you haven't subscribed already, then why not do so today and get all the episodes straight to your device? And please do tell your family and friends about the show too. From me, Nick Heath, thanks for listening.